Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome everyone to episode 63 of True Blue Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How you doing? Yeah, good. It feels like it's been a while and a minute at the same time. Um, But yeah, doing good and I mean we've talked off air so I won't ask you how you are but (laughs) we're here. We are here and you're one year older although it's only been a few weeks since we recorded. You've uh, had a birthday in the meantime. Yeah, but um, I told you I'm not counting it because I haven't used it so it's not coming off my age anymore. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Because of the year we've had we'll we'll count it as a bit of a leap year and you can keep it in the back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm at that age where it counts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's. Uh, we've got a, a couple of ca- Patreon shout-outs to uh, catch up on this week, Chloe. Yeah, thank you so much to Debbie Farrell, Jazzy Pierce, Sandra, Richard Leckie, Beck Turner, Kate, Brett Edwards, Kate Simmons, Bev Jones, Nikki M, Mandy Hockey, Sam Harrod, Lisa, Jess and Big As. Thanks for the support, everyone. Much appreciated. The case we are discussing today contains graphic descriptions, crimes against young children and animal cruelty. Some of the content is difficult to hear, so we'd encourage our listeners to exercise self-care when listening to this episode. Today, we're talking about a devastating crime which rocked the small town of Cowra, New South Wales, in 2008. Warren in our Facebook group suggested this one, which we already had on the list, but he posted the link to the case the other day, so we thought we'd expedite things just for you, Warren. And we're going to see some similarities to the Fig family murders in this one, as you said in our little Patreon preview last week, Chloe, but, you know, it's modern day and with a very different ending. We start this tragic tale on the 30th of June 2008, a brisk winter's day in Cowra, New South Wales, when the Anderson family answered the door to their frantic and bloodied neighbour, Shelley Walsh. A lady was knocking on the door, bashing on the door, let me in, let me in quick, let me in. That was at my sister's. And she she let her in, and um, uh, she had a big gash on the side of her face, and she said that um, bring the police that they're all dead in there. Uh, 
they got on the phone and rang the police. If you snake your way through the Blue Mountains coming from Sydney, in about four hours' time you'll reach Cowra. A small town steeped in history, Cowra is home to around 10,000 people and was originally inhabited by the Wiradjuri people. When the British first surveyed the broader Lachlan Valley region where modern-day Cowra is situated, it was deemed unfit for settlement. So it was handed over to the military for their purposes and they set up a depot at Soldiers Flat shortly after this. Amidst World War II, a prisoner of war camp was established in Cowra. In 1944, there was the infamous Cowra breakout attempt by over 500 Japanese POWs. There were mostly Japanese and Italian POWs in this camp, but also some Indonesian political prisoners. At the same time as these 500-odd POWs attempted to break out utilising improvised weapons, a number of those who remained took their own lives, either by their own hand or with aid from a fellow countryman. At the end of it all, 231 Japanese POWs died, four Australian guards died and 108 prisoners were wounded. As such, Kaura now has a Japanese war cemetery where not only the deceased from this event are buried but also a number of soldiers from the Darwin air raids. Modern day Kaura is quite a charming place. It has an annual cherry blossom festival in the springtime which has a number of Japanese influences. The picturesque Lachlan Valley surrounding Cowra is dappled with vineyards, waterways and beautiful countryside. And it was on a brisk winter's morning on June the 30th, 2008, at the Kendall Street News Agency that John Walsh stood, flicking through a newspaper while his wife Jean bought a lottery ticket from the proprietor, John Harrigan. This was a regular occurrence for the Walshes, now in their retirement. Jean liked a cheeky bet and always had a joke with the news agency staff while John flicked through the nation's headlines at the front of the store. John was originally from Northern Ireland, Jean from Great Britain. They were a quiet, retired couple who'd moved from Sydney around 10 years ago. The couple returned to their little weatherboard home on the corner of Broham and Darling Streets, just opposite the Croquet Club, down the road from the bowling club. Their daughter, Shelley, was dropping their grandkids around on her way to work, Seven-year-old Kevin and five-year-old Jamie stayed with Nana Jean and Papa John while their mum, Shelley, went to the Parks Police Station. Shelley worked here as a crime prevention officer for the Lachlan Local Area Command of New South Wales Police. She'd been in the police force since 1997 but had only relocated to the Cowra region some four years earlier, having separated with her partner, the children's father, who was also a police officer. They'd previously lived in Newcastle, but Jean, Shelley's mum, wasn't in particularly good health. So after the separation, Shelley thought it would be best to escape the hustle and bustle and make a fresh start, while at the same time lending a hand to her dad, John, to look after her mum, Jean. Shelley worked her shift that day and returned to her parents' house in Broham Street around 2pm that afternoon. When she went inside, her dad, John, was making a cup of tea but Shelley felt something was off immediately. The first thing that she noticed was the latch of her parents' bedroom door was snibbed shut, but from the outside. This was strange because if her mum was inside, she couldn't have locked it from the outside. 
Shelley unlatched the door and opened it and looked into the room to see her mum lying on the floor. She turned to John and said, Did I just see what I think? John said Jean was feeling sick and offered Shelley another cup of tea before sauntering off down the hallway towards the kitchen. Shelley followed, but before she asked about the kids, she saw their school uniforms hanging up. This meant they clearly weren't at school as she'd thought. Her folks were meant to have gotten them ready and taken them to school. So Shelley thought, logically, they must be in their room. She went into the bedroom where Jamie and Kevin stayed, and she spotted Jamie first. Shelley instantly knew Jamie wasn't alive from her colour, and she bent down to touch her daughter's cheek to see if there was any warmth left, because she might be able to try and bring her back. But she was cold. Kevin was also on the bed nearby, rolled up in a blanket, equally as cold as his younger sister. Then Shelley heard footsteps and turned to see her dad, John, standing in the hallway holding an axe. He lunged at her and struck her on the head with the weapon while saying, I'm doing this because I love you. When I'm done with you lot, I'm going to Newcastle to kill your ex-husband. We are all better off this way. This is the way it has to be. Shelley fought her father off, using her training as a police officer to escape the situation and she ran next door for help. And this is where we heard Vince Anderson in the introduction describe Shelley arriving at their house, speaking with his sister Cheryl and asking to use the phone to call the police. Shelley, bleeding profusely from a gaping head wound, said to the Andersons, Dad's just killed Mum and the two kids. They're all dead in there. I've got to ring the police. John Walsh, meanwhile, fled the scene, taking off in his Toyota, presumably for Newcastle. The police arrived on the scene soon after and despite her serious head wound, Shelley was still conscious and able to talk with officers to explain what had occurred. She was flown by helicopter to Orange Base Hospital to undergo surgery. Shelley was later put into an induced coma to recover before being brought back out of that while in Nepean Hospital. Her physical condition was serious but stable. But the tragedy of what had occurred would take much longer for Shelley to recover from than the physical injuries. At this time, a statewide manhunt was underway for John Walsh, prime suspect in the murders of his wife Jean and grandchildren Jamie and Kevin. Police circulated photos of John Walsh in the media and encouraged people to be on the lookout for a silver Toyota Avalon sedan registration YSW616. New South Wales Police Commissioner Andrew Scipioni added with caution, let's understand here, this man is a suspect in a triple murder and so anyone who has gone to that length is certainly a risk. Sixty-one-year-old John Whitehead was an ex-police officer. Some two years ago, he had retired and bought the Highway Inn Motel in the rural town of Hay. This is in southwestern New South Wales. He'd been watching the news and doing his end-of-day duties around the place when at 6.45pm, a man who looked a little older than himself, with grey hair and a limp, arrived at the motel. He booked himself in for the night, giving the name of John Walsh, and ordered bacon and eggs and orange juice for breakfast the following morning. The two Johns then went to inspect the room, Whitehead turning on the heater and TV for Walsh, 
who commented when offered that he didn't require any dinner as he had some bickies to munch on. John Whitehead left his guest, passing Walsh's battered car and old silver Toyota Avalon as he walked. He made note of the number plates and discussed it with his son upon his return to the office. Hay was 400 kilometres from Cowra, but the car piqued John's interest. He'd seen it on the news earlier, and his son confirmed, yep, that's the guy, that's the guy they're looking for from Cowra. John promptly picked up the phone and dialed triple zero. He'd only been waiting on the line for a minute or two when all of a sudden Walsh appeared at the door, surprising him. John, being rather sharp with these things after years of service on the force, had locked the door upon his return and Walsh couldn't get in. He called out that he was after some milk, to which John replied he was busy at the moment but would bring some over for him shortly. Walsh nodded and limped away back towards his room while John remained on the line to triple zero, but at this point he began getting a little nervous thinking that Walsh might have been suspicious now, seeing him on the phone with the door locked. 90 minutes John was on the line to triple zero for before the police arrived. John Walsh's cup of tea or whatever he wanted the milk for would have been well and truly cold by this point as John Whitehead, flanked by police, knocked on the door of his room. Walsh answered promptly to Whitehead's call that he had his milk, and within the blink of an eye, the two officers had John Walsh on the ground in handcuffs. The police conveyed him to Deniloquin, where he was questioned overnight regarding his involvement in the deaths of his wife and two grandchildren, and the attack on his daughter. John Walsh made frank confessions to the crimes, and a quick trigger warning here. He told police that he hit his wife repeatedly with a hammer he'd given the nickname of Fred before he stabbed and beat her. Walsh then said he'd coaxed his granddaughter Jamie into the bathroom before drowning her in the bathtub. After putting her back into bed, he turned his focus to young Kevin. He beat his grandson with the hammer, Fred, before taking him to the bathtub too, drowning the young boy and placing him back in the bed next to his sister. Having the plan to kill his daughter when she returned home before driving to Newcastle to kill his former son-in-law before finally killing himself, Walsh then wondered who'd be around to look after the family dog. And another trigger warning for you animal lovers here. He grabbed their faithful family pooch and proceeded to drown it in the bathtub too before wrapping it in plastic and placing it under his grandchildren's bed. He confirmed he'd attacked his daughter, Shelley, when she came home from work to pick up her kids, an attack that ultimately left her with a fractured skull and torn brain lining. Walsh admitted what he'd said to Shelley, saying that he saw the murders as mercy killings due to his wife's poor health. The only reason he'd killed his grandchildren was because no one would be around to look after them. John Walsh was charged the following morning with the murders of his wife and two grandchildren and the attempted murder of his daughter, Shelley. The press-dubbed Cowra Axe Murderer, a technically incorrect moniker as he'd only used an axe to attack Shelley, stood trial and was convicted of the murders, receiving life sentences for each count. Walsh was unable to give any reasoning beyond this for why he committed the heinous murders. A report later surfaced indicating he displayed a progressive and morose change since his son had taken his own life just a few years earlier. Neighbours commented that they'd seen a bit of a change in him since this time and speculated that the quiet and reclusive old man perhaps felt burdened by his remaining family moving into his retirement years. 
Police Commissioner Andrew Scipione remarked after the murders that it was perhaps one of the worst days in the history of police. He extended his sympathies to the families, not only to Shelley, who was on the road to physical recovery at this time, but her ex-husband. He lost two children, a tragedy that's beyond words. Shelley's emotional recovery would be an ongoing thing, something that a person with less emotional fortitude might never recover from, and something that would just never leave you, but she stood strong in the face of it. After the shock of losing her children and mother in such a brutal fashion kicked in, Shelley went on to return to work on limited duties. People in the small community of Cowra were extremely shaken too. They were angered and reticent to be photographed or give their names to the media. The town was still haunted by the murders of Catherine Holmes and Georgina Watmore some 20 years earlier in 1987. This crime was also erroneously referred to as being committed by an axe-wielding maniac. It remains unsolved to this day, and we're going to discuss that case in our next episode. New South Wales had been rocked only days before the Walsh family murders too, by a much less known tragedy. Gary Bell had killed himself and his three children using exhaust fumes just west of Eden on New South Wales' south coast, which is just a horrible end to these three innocent young lives. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This morbid tale doesn't end there. As Shelley Walsh was coming to terms with her loss, grieving and trying to piece back together some semblance of a life for herself, John Walsh was rotting away quietly behind bars in Long Bay Jail. Then this happened in January of 2017. John Walsh is already serving a lengthy term behind bars and now stands accused of bashing his cellmate to death overnight. Walsh's alleged victim was 72-year-old Frank Townsend, himself a convicted killer. The two shared a cell in a special unit for aged and frail inmates at Long Bay Prison. Corrections officers discovered the victim unconscious in a pool of blood just after 11 o'clock last night. It's understood... He'd been bashed with a sandwich press. So John Walsh had gone from Cowra Axe murderer to sandwich press killer overnight. Walsh and Frank Townsend were cellmates at the time. Townsend was serving time for the manslaughter of Belinda Trad, having shot her in 2010. He'd since been paroled but breached his condition, so was put back inside with Walsh after this. The pair were in the Kevin Waller unit, which apparently houses aged and frail inmates. Walsh, however, displayed no signs of fragility and openly discussed the murder with police when he said, I had no intentions of killing him, he just died. It was so easy. I'm not bloody sorry because he's an asshole. I reckon cold rage is bloody dangerous. I don't work in anger, I work in cold rage. 
Walsh went on to tell the police that he believed Townsend was up to something, planning something to get him, and he'd simply gotten in first. Walsh, 79 years of age at this point, described how he saw Townsend sit up in his bed around 10.50pm. He knew this was his moment and he'd prepared to defend himself, so he reacted and went in first. Walsh recreated the tactical way in which he'd grabbed the sandwich press, which was either a Breville or a Sunbeam model, which he'd placed inside a pillowcase. Walsh then swung and pressed down hard, striking Townsend repeatedly. When guards heard the loud banging, they attended the cell and shone a torch in sight, querying the noise, but Walsh didn't respond. Instead, he lay in his bed, seemingly asleep, and the guards left after hearing a snoring sound coming from Townsend's bed. Turns out this snoring wasn't him sleeping, but his final breaths. A prisoner in an adjacent cell who used to be a nurse described the sound as Shane Stokes breathing, the strained breathing characteristic of a person who is near death. After the guards left, Walsh attacked Townsend again and killed him. He later told police he couldn't remember much of it, just his hands moving and the bang, bang, bang. Maybe some people shouldn't be born, he concluded. Shelley Walsh has rebuilt her life the best way she can. She's gone to see her father twice in jail, but won't return again. She's done a couple of interviews on Channel 9's A Current Affair, where she's described the visits, what she's been through and where she's at now. Shelley said she had considered taking her own life in the time after the murders, but noted the support she'd received was the difference between life and death. She visited John purely to sit in front of him and let him know that she's fine, he didn't win. And when she left, he'd still be there in jail and she'd be off living her life. Shelley said an apology from him wouldn't change anything, her mum and kids would still be gone, but an apology wasn't forthcoming. All her father offered up when she asked why he'd done what he had was a shrug of the shoulders and a, I don't know why myself. Shelley went on to say that she still shouldered some of the blame for what happened, that they were her babies, it was her job to protect them, and she wasn't there. But she gets up every day and lives her life. She can't get her mum or her kids back, but she can get her life back. And if she does that, her dad doesn't win. She also described that while growing up, they were seemingly a normal family on the surface, and no one could have seen this coming. In later years, through her work, she's reflected and noted signs of emotional domestic abuse within her parents' relationship. Things like how John had cut her mum off from the rest of her family, kicked her brother out of home when he was just 15, And even little things like when one of them would get 98% on an exam, he'd comment, where's the other 2%? A small point, that last one, but in the context of things, Shelley said she could now see that behaviour in him from years earlier. And Shelley's gone on to become an advocate for domestic violence awareness and an education development officer at the Goulburn Police Academy. She's found love again, something she thought she'd never find. They have some dogs and have relocated to Goulburn as well. The house in Broham Street, Cowra, has since been demolished. So that's it on that case, and I don't have too many thoughts on this one, but that last point from Shelley is so interesting that on the surface they seem like a normal family, but in hindsight the signs from John may have been there over the years, subtle but there. And it's amazing that Shelley has gone on to become a domestic violence advocate. What an incredible use of her lived experience of something so horrific. I can't fathom what kind of trigger would have ever caused something so violent and I just feel for everyone involved and anyone affected by this crime, that's 
bit from me. How about you, Sean? What are your thoughts? Yeah, as always, Chloe, you know, our thoughts go out to Shelley and the extended Walsh family and indeed the, the Cowra community too. You know, it's such a devastating and brutal crime. And like you said, you've got to wonder what the hell happened here. What switch flicked in in John Walsh's head or you know, was this something that uh, had been there for a long time, like you said, with those behaviours? Was it just a well-hidden thing? Um, you know, there's nothing to say that he committed other crimes before, but as we've seen in prison, it's it's not just his family he's prone to snapping and bludgeoning. So it makes you wonder if he was actually in his 60s the first time this happened. Shelley is is a extremely strong woman. I'm I'm not sure we've seen a more positive outcome in terms of the life she's gone on to rebuild after such a tragedy. But uh, as we said earlier, you mentioned too, Chloe, it's not the only tragedy in Cowra. Uh, the unsolved murders of Catherine Holmes and Georgina Watmore still exists and uh, and it casts a shadow to this day. So, look, we'll cover that one next week, but uh, that's it from me this week. Um, so on that note, what is we've got to do happy thoughts. What is your happy thought this week? Yeah, I'm expecting a good one from you because you've had a few weeks off from the happy <laughs> thoughts. I even stumped one up in your absence uh, on the Prue Bird episode. So. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, my happy thought is just uh, that things in Victoria have opened up between regional and metro areas, so we're mm-hmm. able to go and see some family who we haven't seen for some time, which is going to be great. Things are looking up, coming up towards the end of the year, so that's uh, that's my happy thought for this week. What about you? Yeah, mine's similar, that um, one of my best friends had a baby. Oh, oh she's definitely going to listen to this and I'm going to get it wrong. Maybe three weeks ago. Um, and I'm going to be able to meet him, um, this week. So, um, she lives pretty close to me and yeah, I'll be able to go and see him in person. Um, which seems foreign and awesome and exciting. And I'm super grateful for that. Awesome. And we might even get to see each other too with all the years out. We should do maybe our last last episode or something we should do together um, because we haven't been able to see each other for most of the year, so that'd be good. No, yeah, I know. Um, that's a bit daunting. I'm still getting used to seeing people and leaving my house for, um, I'm you know, staying home a fair bit still, but just to leave my house for any other reason than the supermarket or the chemist is still taking a lot out of me. One thing one day is what my new philosophy is. I can't plan, you know, a walk with someone and then like coffee or something. It's too much. It's too much social activity. I need time to ease back into normal, I don't know, interactions. It's amazing what you get sort of you get used to and and then when you revert back to something that you've done with ease previously, how much it takes out of you, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I've noticed that too. Turns out I'm an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? You. (laughs) Um, And if you want to get in touch, you can email us at truebluecrime at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, which is called True Blue Crime Podcast, and you can find us on Instagram by searching True Blue Crime. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to our Patreon page. The link's in the show notes. For $5 per month, you can support the current free content we make on the main feed and get all of our bonus content as well, which includes Blue Label episodes, blooper reels, murder lounge, sneak previews, uh, and ad-free early release regular episodes as well, which, uh, as Chris Hardy said, is like being at the front of the the queue at the cinema, you know, when you go to that little (laughs) special gold class line and they let you through. So I thought that was a pretty awesome. pretty cool analogy. Uh, but we've got some really uh, awesome behind-the-scenes stuff coming up on on Patreon uh, over the summer, and 
We're going to post uh, the highlights reel that we entered into the podcast award shortly and do a bit of discussion and commentary around that and and the clips we chose and, and why. So that'll be cool. Yeah. And on that topic, if you do enjoy what we do, please give us a vote in the listener's choice category for the upcoming podcast awards. We'll put the link in the show notes and you can find it in our Facebook group and on Instagram too. The voting closes on November 18 and it takes less than a minute to do and your support would mean the world to us if we got the chance to be nominated in that category. Certainly would. Uh, Thank you all for listening and we will be back with you all next week with another case in Cowra. Take care and we'll chat to you then. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.